Turn in your Bibles tonight to 2 Samuel chapter number 16. 2 Samuel chapter number 16. And what a blessing it is to be here with you tonight in the house of the Lord. Let me say uh, my personal gratitude and thanks to those that made today possible, uh, that worked hard to make sure that uh, we could have a great time of fellowship as a church family. A lot of work goes into it. And uh, especially those in the kitchen, those laboring over there. But not just that. We had food. Uh, because you brought food, amen, and I know that there was a lot of hard work went into that even in your own homes, and just want you to know how much I appreciate it, what a blessing that today has been to me. Second Samuel chapter number 16, and I'd like to begin reading in verse number 1, Second Samuel chapter 16, verse number 1. We'll read four verses here, and then I want to jump over and read a few verses out of chapter 19. The Bible says, verse number 1, when David was a little past the top of the hill, behold, Ziba, the servant of Mephibosheth, met him with a couple of asses saddled, and upon them two hundred loaves of bread, and a hundred bunches of raisins, and a an hundred of summer fruits, and a bottle of wine. And the king said unto Zeba, What meanest thou by these? And Zeba said, The asses be for the king's household to ride on, and the bread and summer fruit for the young men to eat, and the wine that such as be faint in the wilderness may drink. And the king said, And where is thy master's son? And Ziba said unto the king, Behold, he abideth at Jerusalem. For he said, Today shall the house of Israel restore me the kingdom of my father. Then said the king to Ziba, Behold, thine are all that pertained unto Mephibosheth. And Ziba said, I humbly beseech thee that I may find grace in thy sight, my lord, O king. Now turn over to chapter 19 with me. You know, you've heard this before. There's three sides to everything, right? Your side, my side, and the truth. Uh, we've heard Ziba's side, uh, but we've not heard from Mephibosheth. Well, in chapter 19, we hear Mephibosheth's side of this story. In verse number 24, it says that Mephibosheth, the son of Saul, came down to meet the king and had neither dressed his feet nor trimmed his beard nor washed his clothes from the day the king departed until the day he came again in peace. And it came to pass when he was come to Jerusalem to meet the king, that the king said unto him, Wherefore winnest, thou, winnest not thou with me, Mephibosheth? And he answered, My lord, O king, my servant deceived me. For thy servant said, I will saddle me an ass that I may ride thereon and go to the king, because thy servant is lame. And he hath slandered thy servant unto my lord the king. But my lord the king is as an angel of God. Do therefore what is good in thine eyes. For all of my father's house were but dead men before my lord the king. Yet didst thou set thy servant among them, that did eat at thine own table. What right therefore have I yet to cry any more unto the king? The king said unto him, Why speakest thou any more of thy matters? I have said, Thou and Ziba divide the land. And Mephibosheth said unto the king, Yea, let him take all, forasmuch as my lord the king is come again in peace unto his own house. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. Thank you for letting us be together tonight in your house. Thank you for the good day that we've had, Lord. It's been a good day because you were here. Lord, if it's a good service tonight, it'll be because your presence is felt known and has liberty to work in our midst. I pray that you'd speak to each heart and that you'd magnify the Lord Jesus in all that's said, for we ask it in his precious name. Amen. As we have been preaching through a similar thought in several uh, passages, several sermons over the past few weeks, we have followed this thought in this story. The king is coming back. I'll not, because I think most everybody in the room is probably familiar with what we've been preaching on. I'll not go to the trouble of setting all the stage concerning all the particulars. 
But we've examined how that this episode in the life of King David, his exile, his rejection from the throne of Israel, and Absalom wrestling the throne away from his his father David, reminds us somewhat of the days that we're living in. A time when the rightful king is not present here and sitting upon his earthly throne, but is in exile, has been rejected by this world. And a uh, a rebel king, a pretending king, uh, the devil is sitting upon the throne. Uh, We've spent some time looking at how people responded to this truth. That the rightful king is rejected, a rebel king is ruling, but the rightful king is returning. He is coming back. And different individuals responded in different ways in light of that. Uh, We have made note each time we preached on it, on the servants of King David. How that they serve as an example that just because the king is not here, uh, that doesn't mean we can't serve him and live for him. We've talked about their statement back in chapter number 15 when they uh, said unto the king, Thy servants are ready to do whatsoever, my lord, the king shall appoint. Uh, We talked about how their station was unchanged and their steadfastness unwavering and their service unconditional. And they stand as an example, as a proof that a person, even in times when the person that they love and cherish is absent, they can still serve that person. We can still serve the Lord Jesus, though He be not in this present world. And we have ran through a catalog of individuals. We've looked at Zadok and Idai and Hushai. We've looked at these men uh, that have responded in different ways uh, to the absence of King David. And it is a convicting thought to consider our own lives. How are we living? We say we believe Jesus is coming back. We say it every service. You probably say it to individuals on your daily uh, in your daily life. But how does that change and inform the way that we live? Where we've been studying through First and Second Thessalonians, the theme that we have taken in that course has been becoming a second coming church because when Paul writes to the church at Thessalonica, he comments on the fact that their belief in the imminent return, the immediate or upon us return of Lord Jesus Christ, how that it colored and shaped everything that they did. And likewise, if we really believe the King is coming back, that should motivate us and prompt us to live for Him in a passionate and devoted way. Now, most of the men that we have looked at They have been positive in their response. They've not always altogether been perfect, but they've been positive in their response. They've responded in the right way to the fact that King David was going to come back. They have acted with integrity. They have acted with discipline. They have acted with devotion. They have behaved in a way befitting the memory and honor of the king that they were representing. But tonight we are introduced to a man by the name of Ziba. And his story is quite different. Ziba is a man that most of the time in Scripture is called the servant of Saul or of the household of Saul. And we just get a glimpse of his story in the text that we've read tonight. If we want to learn about Ziba, we really almost have to go back to the first time that he's mentioned. Turn with me back to chapter 9, 2 Samuel chapter 9. Now in this chapter, the majority of the chapter is really not about Ziba. Uh, He is a bit player. He is a supporting role in the story that is set before us. But he is integral to what takes place. Second Samuel 9 is really not about Ziba. It's about Mephibosheth, the grandson of Saul, the son of Jonathan, the crippled heir uh, to this now bankrupt kingdom. And listen to what the Bible says about Ziba, the servant of Saul, the servant it would become of Mephibosheth. 
his role that he played in this chapter. Let's begin reading in verse number 1. The Bible says in 2 Samuel 9, verse 1, David said, Is there yet any that is left of the house of Saul, that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? That's the son of Saul. That was David's friend. And there was of the house of Saul a servant whose name was Ziba. And when they called him unto David, the king said unto him, Art thou Ziba? And he said, Thy servant is he. And the king said, Is there not yet any of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God unto him? And Ziba said unto the king, Jonathan hath yet a son which is lame on his feet. And the king said unto him, Where is he? Ziba said unto the king, Behold, he is in the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, in Lodabar. Then king David sent and fetched him out of the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, from Lodabar. Now when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, was come unto David, he fell on his face and did reverence. David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, Behold thy servant. David said unto him, Fear not, for I will surely show thee kindness for Jonathan thy father's sake, and will restore thee all the land of Saul thy father. And thou shalt eat bread at my table continually. Let me just pause there and say, Thank God for the grace of God. Amen. And he bowed himself and said, What is thy servant that thou shouldest look upon such a dead dog as I am? Then the king called to Ziba, Saul's servant, and said unto him, I have given unto thy master's son all that pertain to Saul and to all his house. Thou therefore and thy sons and thy servants shall till the land for him. Thou shalt bring in the fruits that thy master's son may have food to eat. But Mephibosheth, thy master's son, shall eat bread always at my table. Now Ziba had fifteen sons and twenty servants. Then said Ziba unto the king, According to all that my lord the king hath commanded his servant, so shall thy servant do. As for Mephibosheth, said the king, he shall eat at my table as one of the king's sons. And Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. All that dwelt in the house of Ziba were servants unto Mephibosheth. Now you may say, preacher, why did we take the time to read that? Because it provides for us uh, indispensable information as to why Ziba reacts the way that he does in 2 Samuel 16. Why he treats Mephibosheth the way that he does. You know, the name Ziba, it means statue. And it's related to the word from which we get our word for station. The idea of position or prominence. And evidently, Ziba was a man, though he was a servant, he was a man of great power and of great influence. Uh, some commentators have suggested, and I'll say more about this later, but that David's reaction and dealing with Ziba was probably due to how influential this man Ziba was. Certainly, he's a servant who has under him 20 other servants. He is a man, though he is a servant of Saul. He has not been executed as being part of an old regime, but his position has been maintained. In other words, he is a man of authority. He is a man of means. He is a man that has had to some degree control over his own life and his own ability. And all that's going very well for him until one day when David sends him down to Lodabar to pick up a cripple by the name of Mephibosheth. When we read chapter 9 of 2 Samuel, we learn a few things about him. Listen carefully to this. We learn, number one, that Ziba is a man with a pardon. As a servant of Saul, David should have executed him. 
By the way, later on, Solomon would do this very thing. When he would ascend the throne of Israel, he would establish his power. Now, that's a real uh, fanciful and beautiful and historical way of saying, kill everybody that belonged to the old regime. Solomon, when he ascends the throne, he begins to take heads off left and right. Why does he do that? He's securing his power and ensuring that no insurrections can take place. Well, one would think when Ziba, who has been a faithful servant in the house of Saul, that when David ascends the throne, David would have took his head off. David would have killed him. David would have set out with the old and in with the new. But instead, David pardons him. He shows grace in his life just like he showed grace in Mephibosheth's life. You know, sometimes we kind of get an idea that God didn't have to that He didn't need as much grace for us as He did for somebody else. We look at people in their brokenness and think, oh, how precious the grace of God is. Don't you know it took just as much grace for God to save you and I? We may have grown up in a church-going household. We may have grown up with mamas and daddies that loved us and taught us the Word of God. But it took just as much of the grace of God for God to forgive Ziba as it did for David to forgive Ziba as it did for David to forgive Mephibosheth. Though his brokenness was internal, it was no less brokenness. And he is a man whose first statement concerning him him reveals that he had been forgiven by the king. In other words, he had enjoyed the pardon of the king. He's a man with a pardon. The second thing we learn about his life is that he is a man with a purpose. You know, he is called the servant of Saul, but there are other places, particularly after this, that he is called the servant of Mephibosheth. And in fact, after the king pardons Ziba, his next responsibility is to go and to be a servant to the most broken of his household. Can I tell you this, when God saves you and I, you say, preacher, what does He save us for? He saves us so that we can be servant to the most broken amongst us. He is now a man that has been called to serve another. And not only to serve another, let me say this, to serve somebody that needed a lot of service. Sometimes we don't mind serving others that pretty well serve themselves. Uh, but when we have to serve those that take a lot of attention, that take a lot of time, when we have to show love to those uh, that don't always reciprocate it, when we have to show love to those whose brokenness gets up under our feet sometimes, uh, we get kind of upset that God would call on us to do that much. But I'd have you know, friend, hey, listen, God didn't save you just to give you an easy job in the service of the Lord. He saved you so that you could serve the most difficult amongst us. He's a man with a purpose. His purpose has changed. Now somebody's going to say, well, preacher, he was always a servant. Yeah, to a dead king. You know, a servant to a dead king don't really have a lot of responsibilities. But now that he's been pardoned by the new king, he's been given a job to do. And now his job got tenfold more difficult. He went from tending to himself to now he's tending to somebody that can't walk on his own. You know, when you got saved, that's one of the things God called you to do. I might just preach for a little bit right here. That'd be okay. One of the things God called you to do is to help others walk who can't walk. I ain't talking about physical lameness. I'm talking about spiritual impediment. I'm talking about spiritual impairment. Hey, God called us to help those walk that don't know how to walk. He called us to help those that sometimes make foolish decisions, to help those that sometimes don't always make the right choices, to help those with even the most simple and fundamental of things. You know what Ziba would have to do? Because all the training he could do with Mephibosheth wasn't going to make those broken legs work. There were times when it was his job to pick him up and carry him wherever he needed to go. His job got tenfold more difficult. And so he is a man with a pardon. He is a man with a purpose. But then we find out that at least in his mind, he is a man with a problem. He went from being a servant of Saul to being a servant of himself. 
He went from his task being to wait on Saul and his household every day to now that Saul's dead. He is literally in the best possible position he could be in. He is able to continue to live in the old quarters of the servant's house. He's able to still continue to provide for his family out of the lands that had already existed. But now he's a servant without a master. He only has to follow himself. He has been set free, as it were, from his obligations. But then along with this pardon that David gives him, comes this new commission and he goes from being a servant of self to being a servant of a cripple. You know, the Bible goes out of its way to tell us in chapter 9 that Mephibosheth had a son by the name of Micah. wonder why the Holy Ghost goes out of its way to tell us this. Well, I think one of the reasons is to help us understand Ziva's frame of mind. This was not just something that would affect him. This was a perpetual calling that he had now been inducted into. His children and his children's children would continue to serve this household. Now, stop and think about this with me. If we look at this in terms of what Ziba deserved, his commission is a privilege and a promotion. In other words, if we look at it the way we should, if we say, well, Ziba, if he had got what he deserved, he would have had his head lopped off. He would have died. He was a dead man walking. And now he's been made a servant of Mephibosheth and a servant in the service of King David. What a glorious thing that is. But evidently, that's not how Ziba looked at it. Instead, if we look at it through what Ziba had developed, in other words, what he had constructed, what he had built up, how he had jockeyed and positioned himself to a place of autonomy and independence and prosperity, this commission all of a sudden looks like a burden and a humiliation. Can I say that how we view God's work in our life will dictate much of how we approach the responsibilities God gives us. If we look at it as though God rescued us from the pit of miry clay, there won't be much God could ask of us that we wouldn't be willing to do. If we feel like God scouted us like a sports scout and and, and traded for us and bartered for us and recruited us because we're so awesome, there's going to be a lot of stuff that we think is beneath us. Relative to how we view our original condition dictates how we view the commission that God gives us. In other words, Ziba, because he looked at how good in his mind he had it and not at how bad he deserved it, he's looked at it and said, this isn't fair towards me. I'd say this, and I understand the weight of the burden of what I'm about to say, but I believe there's scriptural foundation. God help any Christian say, it's not fair what's been done to me. You with me tonight? That's all right. Go ahead and burp. That way you can say amen. Hey, listen, uh, God help any of us say it's not fair what's been done to us. I'll tell you something, the moment you took that pardon from the king, you gave up any right to ever look at God and say, it ain't fair how I've been done. If we'd been done the way we deserve to get done, there wouldn't be nothing left to do anything to. But He redeemed us. He saved us. He is a man in His mind with a problem. And that brings us to our text tonight because evidently He is a man with a plan. He sees David being exiled from the kingdom. And in the exit of David, he sees an opportunity for himself, an opportunity to gain the upper hand over Mephibosheth. He uses, in other words, a weaker person as a prop and a stepping stone to exalt himself. I want to preach to you on this thought tonight, abusive in his absence. You see, how we treat other people says a lot about what we believe concerning the king's return. When I read this story about about Ziba, what I learn is that he viewed this whole thing as a game, as a system that he could fix and rig 
try to better himself. Because, and I'll go ahead and just give you a little bit of the message before I get there. He didn't ever really believe the king was coming back anyway. What do we learn about Ziba's behavior? I want you to notice a few thoughts and then we'll be done tonight. Notice first off with me, and you can go back to chapter 16, and notice with me his service to the king. If you were to only read these four verses and not read anything else about Ziba, what you would think is here is an upright and honorable man who is devoted to King David. And that's not by accident. For Ziba wanted to project the image of someone that had undying loyalty to King David. When he approaches, the Bible says in verse 1, when David was a little past the top of the hill, behold, Ziba, the servant of Mephibosheth, met him with a couple of asses saddled, and upon them two hundred loaves of bread, and a an hundred bunches of raisins, and a an hundred of summer fruits, and a bottle of wine. And the king said unto Ziba, What meanest thou by these? Ziva said, The asses be for the king's household to ride on, and the bread and summer fruit for the young men to eat, and the wine that such as be faint in the wilderness may drink. We see his service to the king. In other words, by outward appearances, he's not only doing what others are doing, he's doing more than what others are doing. Can I tell you this? Outward appearance is not always the sum total of the matter. You can look like you're doing something for God, and externally speaking, you can be doing something for God, and yet there be something far more nefarious underneath. Notice just very simply by observation, number one, he gave financially. It's interesting, though, and let me just... <laughs> I'm just going to say this. I don't know how this is going to come out, so I'm just going to say it. You know, that's 90% of preaching anyway. <laughs> I'm just going to say this and see how it comes out. What he gave didn't belong to him in the first place. What he gave belonged to Mephibosheth in the first place. What he gave belonged to somebody else, but somebody else passed it along for him to give to the king. And if he had been doing the right thing, he would have been leaving something for somebody else to pass along. I'm saying this, we may all think we're really something, but at the end of the day, we wouldn't be here if somebody hadn't come before us and poured the truth of the gospel into our life and made a difference. He gives financially. He's willing to give in and of himself, but even in that giving in and of himself, he's not giving of himself. He's giving that which belongs to his master, which the king gave unto his master. And at the end of the day, hey, listen, we, we ought to support the work of God. We ought to give financially. Every one of us is not only obligated to, but we're privileged to get to do so. But you know, at the end of the day, everything we give has been given to us first. Hey, there's nothing that a man has that he hadn't received from the Lord. Everything you and I have, we may give to the Lord, and I hope we do, and praise God that we do. But we ain't doing nothing but giving something back to the king that he's done gave us in the first place. The only reason Ziba had this is because David gave it to Mephibosheth in the first place. The only reason we have what we have is because it's been given to us in the first place. He gave financially, but number two, I notice he gave fealty. David says something interesting in verse two. He says, what meanest thou by these? Now, isn't that an interesting way for David to ask that? He didn't say, what are these for? Now, that's what Ziba answers, but that's not what David asked. David asked, what meanest thou by these? In other words, he was saying, Ziba, what you getting at by bringing me these things? And in the mind of Ziba, the greatest thing he could do, boy, I'm about to get us in trouble right now. It's a good thing we got a building fund because I'm about to just bottom her out. You ready? You know, if, if, if the best we can do for God is what we give to Him, we ain't really doing much for Him. If that's the most of what we do is cut a check, we ain't really doing that much for Him. I don't know if you're aware of this, God already knows your PIN number. You see, Ziba, because he was earthly minded, he thought he was doing something spectacular by giving. 
And David looks at him and says, what is deeper that you're giving to me? Now, he can't look past that. All he can do is just look at what he's given the Lord. But I would say this, that if Ziba was to answer the question that David would have asked, he would have said this, I'm pledging to you my loyalty. He calls David his king. He says that he is David's servant. And what he's saying is this, I'm loyal to you. I'm on your side. I'm casting my lot with the house of David. That's very interesting considering you don't ever see him again anywhere else in Scripture. I would say this, that a person can from the outside look like they're investing in the work of God. They can proclaim and declare their loyalty to the Lord. But as we can see in the life of Ziba, though he had all the externalities of serving God, though a person would look at him and say, boy, he's one of the few that in this moment is going out and is meeting King David. We learn because we have a King James Bible that there was something else that was going on here. And I would say just because a person externally looks like they're serving God, that don't mean that on the inside everything's right. Uh, listen, if everything's right on the inside, it'll be right on the outside too. But just because everything's right on the outside, that don't mean everything's right on the inside. Do you remember one of the great charges that the Lord Jesus laid against the Pharisees? He called them whited sepulchers. Whited sepulchers. What that means, that's a mausoleum. That's a tomb, a sepulcher is. And he says, you're like whited sepulchers. You're like a mausoleum. You're like a tomb with a fresh coat of paint on it. On the outside, you are beautiful and garnished, but within are dead men's bones. He said, everything looks good on the outside, but I can see on the inside. And I can see that everything ain't right in there. I would say it's good that everything be right on the outside, but we better make sure it's right on the outside because it's right on the inside. You say, preacher, how do I get everything right on the outside? You get it right on the inside, and it'll get right on the outside. You get your heart where it needs to be with the Lord. And it won't be long. Your house and, and, and your appearance and, and your service and your giving and all those things will get right. But it starts by getting the inside right. We see His service to the King. But there's something interesting that happens here. We see not only his service, but we see a statement that he makes. Look with me at verse number 3. And the king said, and where is thy master's son? Now here would have been the right answer. The reason I know it's the right answer is because when I ask y'all where somebody is, y'all always answer the same thing. Oh no. And what he should have said is, oh no. I didn't take Mephibosheth to raise. Now let me say this. He couldn't say that. You know why? He was his brother's keeper. He had been tasked with looking after him. And But he couldn't say that. And so instead, here's what he says. Ziba said unto the king, Behold, he abideth at Jerusalem. For he said, Today shall the house of Israel restore me the kingdom of my father. I see not only his service to the king, but I see his slander to the king. David, had he been, and I understand if we're looking at this typologically, then then David reminds us of the Lord Jesus, the coming King. But let's just get real practical for just a moment here. David's a human being. We understand that at this moment. If David had had more wisdom here, he would have seen something was wrong. You know why? Because somebody that was as spiritual as Eba wanted him to think he was wouldn't be slandering his fellow Israelite. He wouldn't have been criticizing What he would have said is he would have said, David, you need to go talk to Mephibosheth. He's back at Jerusalem, but you need to go talk to him and you need to see if you can change his mind. Instead, he begins to slander him. I'd say this, that when we begin to view people as stepping stones, platforms, things that we can wield and use for our benefit, it is an indication that something is devastatingly wrong in our inward spiritual condition. The problem with Ziba, I don't know that Ziba bore any personal malice towards Mephibosheth. I don't know why he would. Ziba wouldn't have had what he had had David not 
made him the servant of Mephibosheth. I don't know that he hated Mephibosheth. He just wanted out from under the responsibility of having to take care of him. And he wanted to find some way to secure his own financial independence. And he said, here's how I'll do it. I'll throw him under the bus and it'll be better for me. There ain't an ounce of Christianity anywhere near that. When we view people as as utensils that we use, as pawns in a game that we can move around and manipulate and coerce. Uh, listen, I, I've seen Christians do this. I've seen pastors do it. I've seen ministry leaders do it. That they just view people as little pawns that they can move around the board to try to control things. Hey, we have missed something when we get to that place. He looks at him and we see his slander to the king. We could say two things about it that are critical. Number one, his accusation was unjust. So what do you mean, preacher? Well, here's the problem. Mephibosheth wasn't there to defend himself. He is saying something without giving Mephibosheth the opportunity to speak his own part. Let me say it would have been wiser for David to wait before he made a decision. But this is part of the reason that the Bible has constructed things the way that it has in the New Testament church where that when you have an issue with somebody, you go to the person that you have an issue with. You know, 90% of the time when people have conflict, it's rooted in pride and misunderstanding. It's rooted in the fact that they're too prideful to talk and they're not understanding one another. Now, that's not always the case. There are times people do have differences that are irreconcilable, things that they just cannot agree on. But a great many times, listen to this pastor's heart, a great many times that there is conflict between people, particularly in the church house, particularly in the house of God, it's because we are allowing the devil to pour poison in our ears without ever giving them an opportunity to speak their part. He comes and, and the problem was, what was David supposed to do with that? What was he supposed to do with it? He couldn't do anything with it. I have people come to me, not all the time, but occasionally I have people come to me and tell me about so-and-so's upset or so-and-so this and so-and-so that. Listen, I want you to bear your burdens to me. I'm not criticizing that. But sometimes uh, when people come to me and they tell me, well, so-and-so said this or so-and-so did this, all I know to do is look at them and say, well, let's go talk to so-and-so. The only way it's going to get worked out is if we go and talk to so-and-so. You'd be amazed how many times people are hesitant to want to do that. Fact is, if we'll go to people and deal with things out in the open, hey, listen, (laughs) I'm just going to say this. It ain't God's way to put things in the darkness. It's God's way to bring it out into the light. Now, that don't mean airing dirty laundry. That don't mean telling on everything that goes on. But I'm saying this. uh, The reason that Zeba could get away with what he got away with was because David was willing to listen to him slander someone that wasn't even there to be able to defend himself. What he should have said, and David makes a foolish decision here. He makes a decision without having all the information. But what would have been better would have been if David had said, Ziba, you go back and you get your master and you bring him here and I will hear you both out. And then we will have an answer to this. Ziba would not have been willing to do that. You say, how do you know that, preacher? Because that's the reason he left Mephibosheth back in Jerusalem in the first place. When people are scared of the light, it's because there's some darkness somewhere. When they're scared of searching this thing out and finding it out and just, let me just give you a little wisdom. When you're dealing with people and people come to you and they tell you things and they are unwilling for you to investigate that matter, they don't want it pursued, they don't want it looked at, it's because somewhere something stinks. Otherwise, why would they not want to figure that out and to find out the truth of the matter? The problem with his slander, number one, his accusation was unjust, but here's the real problem with it. His accusation was untrue. It wasn't true. We learn from Mephibosheth later that what Ziba said happened did not happen. Listen to how Mephibosheth tells the story in 2 Samuel 19. He answered, My Lord, O King, my servant deceived me. 
For thy servant said, I will saddle me an ass that I may ride thereon and go to the king. Now here's what happened. Mephibosheth can't go do that. So when he says, I said this, he looked at Ziba and said, go saddle up a donkey. I want to go and follow King David. Ziba said, yes, sir. Turned around, left, went out for a pack of cigarettes and never came back. He left and left him behind. Says, uh, I will saddle me an ass that I may ride thereon and go to the king because thy servant is lame. And he hath slandered thy servant unto my Lord the king. What you find out here, and let me just boil it down and move on, is that Ziba was willing to lie and slander others if it could better himself. There's no excuse to slander others. There's no excuse to lie. There's no, there's no means. There's no end that justifies that means. I'm sorry. That's worldly rationale. Uh, God is righteous enough and God is wise enough. He don't have to use bad means to reach a good ends. He can do it the right way, the righteous way. So we find out that though outwardly, externally, everything looked right on the inside, there was a problem here. Now here's the question. Why did he do this? We see not only his service to the king and and his slander to the king, but we see his subtlety towards the king. Now, Ziba does something here that's more understandable than what you or I do, although we do this very thing. The Bible says in verse number 4, Then said the king to Ziba, Behold, thine are all that pertained unto Mephibosheth. And you can see Ziba trying to hide the grin creeping up on his face, trying to feign humility. And Ziba said, I humbly beseech thee, humbly, I humbly, this is a man that just lied through his teeth about his master. I humbly beseech thee that I may find grace in thy sight, my Lord, O King. You see, it was all a game to Ziba. It's how he viewed people. It's how he viewed interactions with people. Merely tools that he could use to accomplish what his desires were. And he viewed The king, this very same way. He was trying to play David for a fool just as surely as he was trying to play Mephibosheth for a fool. Notice that he was, number one, subtle in his motives. What did he want? He wanted what belonged to Mephibosheth. And he was willing to lie and he was willing to slander and he was willing to do whatever it took to get it. Not only was he subtle in his motive, but he was subtle in his manner. He feigns humility. He has all the externalities of being humble and being gentle and being sincere. But every bit of it was nothing but a game. Now, can I tell you something? We look at him and we say, it's awful. Didn't he know King David was a wise man? Well, number one, in Ziba's defense, it worked. Number two, if you're going to criticize Ziba, what are you going to say about you and I doing it to God? Because we try to do God that very same way. Why would we as a child of God think that we can get ahead in the service of the Lord, in the work of God, in the will of God in our lives, in, in secular pursuits, in whatever it is, by being less than honorable and less than ethical. Don't we know that our King has eyes everywhere? Don't we know that He knows what's going on? I don't know if you realize this. A lost man, he may be able to deal with whatever happenstance, luck, chance, fate, destiny, whatever pagan ideal that he subscribes to. But you're a child of God. And your life follows providence. And as such, there's nothing happens in your life that the good hand of God ain't dealing with. So why would we think that we could coerce and manipulate, use deception to try to accomplish things? It's not, listen, it's not that other person only that we're trying to manipulate. He wasn't just manipulating Mephibosheth. 
He was trying to manipulate the king. And let me say something, child of God, when we use dishonesty, insincerity, when we use dishonor to try to do things in our life, it ain't just them other folks we're trying to gain. It's the God of glory that has the jurisdiction over our lives. We're trusting that we can pull the wool over His eyes as well as over theirs. Why did He do this? Well, I think we can make a very simple statement. We see not only His subtlety towards the king, but we see His skepticism towards the king. Now, if you think about Ziba's plan, it all hinges on one thing, that David wouldn't come back. You see, Mephibosheth wasn't going anywhere. He was a cripple, and it just so happened his master had abandoned him. So Mephibosheth wasn't going anywhere. And had uh, David or had Ziba really believed that David was coming back, he would have known it's only a matter of time. Now, somebody's going to say, well, preacher, maybe what Ziba wanted was just to get the money, take the money and run. I was reading an article the other day about somebody who was doing an art gallery. Art's stupid. And um, they were doing, you can quote me on that. <laughs> Call 6 o'clock news and tell them I said that. Um, they were doing, an, uh, the, they had paid somebody to do this art gallery. And they were going to give them, I can't remember, like 80, 85, 100 and something thousand dollars uh, to do this art gallery. And they wanted them, the, the person said, I want to use the money as a part of the art gallery. You know, express some abstract Marxist statement about capitalism or something. I don't know, whatever they do. And, and <laughs> the person, midway they said, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to change the name of the display to take the money and run. Now, anybody that is not drunk on their own hubris would have immediately said, something's wrong here. But people that own art galleries are often drunk on their own hubris. So they said, well, hey, that sounds great. That sounds wonderful. So here's what that cat did. He delivered to him like 60 empty canvases, took the money, and ran. <laughs> hey, man, somebody ought to give him an award. <laughs> I mean, I don't... I'm for that. I don't, I don't know, I don't know what pretentious person's money he stole, but I'm for it. He's doing something better with it than they ever would have. Now it's not like Zeba's wanting to take the money and run, right? You know why? Because what he's asking for is land. Land in Jerusalem. So all this was predicated on this simple thought. He didn't really believe David was coming back. If he believed the king was coming back, he would know that there's only a matter of time before his story unravels. His wealth is taken from him and he is cast out as a liar and as a charlatan and as a con man. But he did what he did because at the end of the day, he never really believed Jesus was going to come back. You know why we treat people poorly? Because we don't ever really believe we're going to have to answer for it. He didn't really believe there would be a return. He didn't really believe David was ever going to come back because if David had come back, he would have seen that Zebo was a liar. And then further than that, he didn't really believe that there would be a reckoning. He didn't believe he would ever be held responsible for how he treated. You know, I find this astonishing arrogance that people that are abusive towards others maintain that somehow they believe, I will never have to give an account for how I treat other people. Listen, friend, the God of glory, this thrice holy and all-seeing and ever-righteous will one day call into account the way you and I have treated other people. He's going to deal with us. He's going to make us answer. And sure enough, we see that that happens in our text. Finally, and I'm done tonight, I want you to notice his scrutiny from the king. Now, it's all going pretty well till David shows back up. And you know, for wicked men, it's all going pretty well, and it's going to go pretty well till the real king shows up. I hate to disappoint you. I know this may, I, I don't, this may curdle John Hagee's milk, but it's all going to go pretty bad until the king shows up. Wicked men are going to keep being wicked and unrighteous and, and all those things are going to happen until the real king shows up. 
But one of these days, the real king's going to show up. And what's going to happen when that takes place? Well, notice two things happen in the life of Ziba. Number one, his sins are disclosed. Sooner or later, Mephibosheth crawled his crippled self all the way to the top of the hill and bore witness and testimony. He rose up like the men of Sodom and the men of Nineveh against Ziba and said, He hath slandered thy servant. Now, let me tell you something. You better be careful how you treat folks. Because one of these days, they're going to stand at the judgment seat. They're going to bear testimony. They're going to bear witness for the way that we've treated them. You know, the, the Bible tells us, and, I, and I, won't, I could go into greater lengths about this, but there's, I think, a very, very clear scriptural precedent that when we stand for believers at the judgment seat of Christ and for lost people at the great white throne judgment, that our sins are called to hand and that people will bear testimony and witness against us for what we have done. I could give you a scriptural rundown, particularly the great white throne judgment of why that is. It's a time when heaven and earth has fled away from the face of him that sitteth on the throne. There ain't nowhere for anybody else to be. They've got to be there present. I believe they're present bearing witness against lost people that have rejected the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I think the same thing is true at the judgment seat of Christ, that those that can be present there will bear witness and testimony against the way that we've treated them. Sooner or later, it's all going to come out. Say, preacher, it'll be a long time from now. Have you ever noticed how it don't feel like a long time when that time gets here? <laughs> you ever made a doctor's appointment that was a long time off to have some procedure, have a tooth pulled or something, and it was a long time off till you woke up one day and your appointment was that day? You ever notice how when you have a bill coming due, man, it's a long ways off, long ways off until payday comes, until there's a day that you have to uh, make that payment. And then all of a sudden, it's upon you. You know, I think that's how it's going to be when we stand before God. Right here from where we're sitting, it looks like a long time. And Ziba probably thought, ah, David ain't ever going to come back. If he does, it'll be a long time from now. Three chapters later, here comes King David's chariot rolling down the hill. and He has to give an account for what he's done. I see his sins are disclosed, but then there's something interesting happens. And I'll go ahead and tell you the sort of two opinions about it. Look at verse number 29 of chapter 19. The king said unto him, unto Mephibosheth, why speakest thou any more of thy matters? I have said thou and Ziba divide the land. I'm going to be 100% honest with you. I'm not satisfied with David's answer here. I don't like it. If I had been there and had enough nerve, I'd have said, David, you can do better. You're a better king than that. But I think what's taking place here, and there's basically two opinions, but I think what's happening here is I think David is reverting back to the prior agreement that existed. If you look back in chapter 9, we won't take the time to do it, but David says, Ziba, you and your servants are going to till the land and bring the fruit in so that Mephibosheth always has food to eat. But Mephibosheth ain't going to eat that food. He's always going to eat bread at my table. So what exactly was this arrangement? It would seem most commentators agree with this. Not that their opinion matters or mine or yours or anyone's, but I think this is probably a fair and accurate reading of Scripture that what David did, because Ziba is a man with 15 sons and 20 servants, as he said, Ziba... You till the land and you and your household can live out of what is given, what is produced by the land, and then you take the rest and you give it to Mephibosheth. He can sell it. He can become wealthy. He can do whatever he's going to do with it. So I think the prior arrangement was this, that the land was already basically divided, at least in the fruit that's given. Now I'll tell you, some people disagree with that. Some people say, no, he's saying from here and in perpetuity, half the land of Mephibosheth would belong to Ziba, but I don't think so. Because I think here's what happened. I think David felt a little sheepish about how he responded. I think uh, David, what's the word? He has egg on his face. 
He realizes now that he shouldn't have listened to Ziba. And so the default thing for him to do, with Ziba not being present there, is just say, look, quit fussing and give it back. It's all done. You ever do that with your kids? Sometimes my kids fight over things. I don't even care who it belonged to. Sometimes I don't even know whose it was, and I'll say, give it back. I ain't even in the same room. I don't know who's got it. I don't know what it is. I don't know who took it from who. That's just my default. You give it back. I don't know who's right or wrong. But because I don't know, I just say, you know what? Let's go back to the original plan. You say, preacher, what are you getting at? I'm saying this. I see his sins are disclosed, but I see his sentences delivered. Eventually, the king said it all right. He said it back the way it was supposed to be. Can I tell you, one of these days, a lot better than King David ever did, our king's going to set everything right. <laughs> our king's going to set everything right. I, I texted a news article to my wife earlier about some kind of outrage. I don't know. When's the last time you read good news? And my wife just replied back. She said, God's going to hold them all accountable one day. You try being married. She's severe. Listen to that. You hear that? But she's right. Hey, listen, one of these days, God's going to deal with them better than you or I could ever deal with them. There's a limit to what we could do. We could maybe punish them to some degree, but hey, God has the ability to deal with them in perfect righteousness and judgment. And in your life and mine, you realize we ain't ever going to get away with it. One of these days, we're going to have to answer for it. Not because the preacher says so, because the Bible says so. Not, not because your, your friend or your neighbor or your family or society is going to make you, but because we have a righteous God. One day, He's going to set everything right. So you say, preacher, how, what do we need to do? Well, we need to do what Mephibosheth or what Ziba should have done. He should have stayed right there and kept serving that crippled man. That was what the king told him to do. He should have poured his whole life into serving someone else with the love of God. And what we need to do is commit ourselves to treat others as though they were the king themselves. Isn't that what David said he wanted done with Mephibosheth? He said he's going to be as one of the king's sons. He looked at Ziba and said, I want you to treat him as good as you treat me. So, said, preacher, how do we need to treat other people? We need to treat them as good as we treat him. And if we'll do that, we won't be ashamed that it's coming. Let's bow together tonight as a musician comes. The altar is open. Boy, I, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know what God may have said to your heart tonight. You might be one of those that has been treated poorly by others. Say, so, preacher, what do I do? You know, Mephibosheth, he never did. He, he, he disclosed that Ziba had done something wrong. But you know when it was all said and done? Boy, you know what he said? David said, divide the land. Mephibosheth said, he can have it all. All I want is you. You know, when we get satisfied with him, we'll be fine to let those that mistreat us, that pour uh, that, uh, that, that hatred, that anger upon us. And by the way, I'm not saying it's appropriate or acceptable for him to do, nor am I advocating anybody stay in a dangerous situation. But I'm saying this, we'll be able to find the grace to forgive when we get satisfied with the king and him alone. Maybe you're one of those that's been maltreated by others. You say, preacher, what do I do? Uh, find peace in the goodness of God and the Lord Jesus. Or maybe you're one of those that, if you were to be honest, You've been Ziba. Boy, I've been Ziba at times. And you'd have to say, if I'm being truthful, there's been times I've been less than what I should be as an ambassador of Christ. Whatever it is God dealt with you about, find a place down here. Let Him have His will and way. Father, bless this invitation and magnify the Lord Jesus Christ.